Thanks for joining us here on the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Kendall Kearns, and I'm the student worship leader here at Rolling Hills. This week, we're diving into the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark as our sermon series, Masterclass, continues. Jesus calls us to follow his example of service to others. Jesus tells James and John that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If our God lives a life in service to others, so should we. Now let's hear today's teaching about how we can live out this call to serve. Well, it is so good to see you guys this morning. I'm going to have to have you do me a little bit of a favor. Is it okay? And here is the favor. So over the past couple of weeks, I have been really inundated with all things student ministry because two weeks ago, we were celebrating our awesome student camp where some incredible things happened. This past week, um, I had an opportunity to go be a camp pastor at a camp over in Jackson, Tennessee. And so I have spent the last week uh, speaking to 800 teenagers. And so here's the deal. They have some hype, as the kids say these days. Um, And so I'm used to saying, um, are you guys excited to be here? And they would say, okay, you guys are never going to cut it at student camp, okay? I mean, you are never going to, I see some excitement. So I would say, are you all excited to be here today? And they would, yeah. And so... That makes me feel at home now, okay, because I'm still there a little bit. So I, I just appreciate that. But I do want to say, all joking aside, if you are spending time with teenagers these days, this is what you're going to realize. We give them a hard time, but you all want you to lean into this. The church is in really good hands because there is a passionate group of Christ followers in our middle school and our high school ministries that are loving Jesus. They are worshiping passionately. They are sharing the faith, their faith with their friends and those that they work with. And so as, as challenging as it is for them, I want you to know God is doing something so incredible in this next generation. And isn't it exciting that we get to be a part of that and that we get to invest in that and that we get to say, Lord, you know, please do what only you can do in these preschoolers and elementary and middle school and high school kids that are coming up in our ministry. And so I'm just so thankful for uh, the ways that you invest in all of those ministries. Now, this is what I've come to realize. There are a lot of things in life that are not in short supply, okay? There's a lot of things in life that we're like, we have way too many choices when it comes to, you know, various things of life. For example, have you been to the cereal aisle recently (laughs) at your local supermarket? And you'll realize it's seriously gotten out of hand. I mean, the sheer number of cereals, we now have celebrity cereal. I mean, celebrities are, you know, creating their own, own, own cereal. Um, and so it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Restaurant choices. I mean, there are so many restaurant choices. We were trying to find a place to go eat a couple of weeks ago over in the Cool Springs area. And of all the restaurants in Cool Springs, we still couldn't agree on one, you know, as a family. Which one do we want to go to? I do not have to tell you, we live in a culture where opinions are not in short supply. Are they? Uh, I don't know if you knew that. There's a lot of opinionated people out there in the world. There is, however, something, though, that I see in our society that is in short supply. And it's something that I want to direct our attention to this morning. It's something that I really see as a need that we all need to grow in. And it is in short supply. Thank goodness I'm not talking about toilet paper anymore. I know that was a season of life, and we have moved past that. But what I see that is in short supply these days, and it's particularly to those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, something that I see is that in short supply is people who are actually living like Jesus wants us to live. People who are actually living by the way that Jesus 
wants us to live, not just by kind of some list of rules that we think Jesus wants us to follow, but who are actually living by the kind of the DNA and the ethos of the way that Jesus would desire for us to live. It's starting every day saying, Jesus, I want to please you today, opposed to pleasing myself. And if you're here today for the very first time, you have caught us in the middle of this summer series called Master Class, where we're looking at the Gospel of Mark. And all throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is showing us chapter after chapter, and he's going to do that today in chapter 10, chapter after chapter about what it means to follow him and what it means to be about his agenda opposed to the earthly agenda that it's so easy for some of us to tend to follow. So I'm excited that you're here today, and I'm praying already for what God's going to do today in this place because I don't think it's by accident that you're here, and I believe that he has something really specific that he wants to show you. So before we go any further, let's pray together, and let's just ask God to come and to move in our midst today. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for worship. Thank you for your word. Thank you for just an opportunity to be together in community. And so we pray, God, that you would change us today, that you would shape us, that you would mold us, and that you would make us more and more like you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things, amen and amen. So the Gospel of Mark, um, it's the shortest of the Gospels. It was the first one that was written, but it, again, kind of highlights for the disciples all of these things about helping them understand where their power comes from and the types of things that Jesus is wanting them to accomplish with their life. And so chapter 10 starts in a, uh, a moment where Jesus and his disciples have left a house in Capernaum, and they've gone to the region of Judea across the Jordan. <clears throat> and every time Jesus went out into the crowd, what happened? Crowds converged upon him. And in those crowds, there were lots of different types of people. There were people who were there to try to catch Jesus up in a lie. It was the Pharisees, and they thought they were better than Jesus. They didn't understand what Jesus was trying to accomplish, and so they were always trying to catch him in a half-truth or trying to kind of back him into a corner to see what would he do in that situation. And then there's people who are legitimately wanting their needs met and who are looking for healing. And then there's the disciples and there's a number of other people. And in chapter 10, it, it starts the exact same way. And all of these people, it says, as he left the region of Judea, Capernaum, all these crowds come up against him. And in the first two stories, in Mark chapter 10, which again, this is a sermon series that we have had on the books for several months now. And it's just quote unquote coincidental, I think not, that in chapter 10, the first two stories that Jesus interacts with, it's a story about women and it's a story about children. A story about women and a story about children, this first story about women. There's a group that comes to Jesus, and they say to him, what is it that makes us able to divorce someone? Can we just divorce a woman for any reason and send her away? And Jesus steps in and says, no, you don't. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus had a very passionate ministry to seeing women understand who they were in his eyes and in his sight. Jesus has brought so much in front of us in the scripture from healing women to allowing women to minister at his feet because it's hard for us to understand now in the 21st century just how radical Jesus' teaching concerning women really was. And then he transitions right from that to this kind of mindset of the children are coming to him and he is blessing the children. And I don't think it's by accident at all in light of, uh, of such a historic week in our country that Jesus is getting these questions. And you've got to understand what Jesus is showing us right here is that people are important to me. 
And I want you to know that everybody is valued. To me, this is but one of numerous passages where Jesus' approach to women was completely countercultural. And he does not say, send her away. But he says, she's my child. She's valuable. Scripture clearly tells us that children are valuable and made in the image of God. And so what does that mean for you and I? It means that you and I have to be as passionate now as we have ever been to continue doing all that we can do to address all of the needs that are around us. That means the needs of women. That means the needs of children. That means the needs of men. It also means the needs that are present in our culture. All of these underlying variables that sometimes it's a little bit harder for us to talk about, but variables like brokenness and despair and poverty. And understanding that you and I have work to do. And if we want to walk with people, then we get in their lives. And sometimes it's really easy for us to just think, well, the best thing for me to do is just to kind of post about how I feel about everything. And I'm not anti-posting on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. But the reality is sometimes the easy thing to do is to post. The hard thing to do is to get involved and to listen and to learn and to pray And so can we make a commitment right now to say, you know what, we're going to be here for one another. And there might be somebody that doesn't see the world the way that I see it, and the reality is that's just the way the world is. But that doesn't mean that we don't continue advancing forward saying, Jesus, we know that you have a plan and that you have a purpose. And so I want us to pick up and see that because it's right here that Jesus is showing us today how we are to live. And so much of what Jesus is trying to show us today, my friends, it is in really short supply in culture. And yet Jesus is saying, you can do better. I want you to do better. I want you to understand my plans and my purposes. So go with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. Y'all, I'm so excited today. I need to calm down a little bit up here. Um, So verses 13 through 16. So people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. I have always loved this passage of scripture because I think it gives one of the clearest pictures of what Jesus is really about. Because what does Jesus do? Paint the picture. It's crowds. It's hot. It's humid. So Tennessee. So I mean, it's basically like this is in Tennessee. And the crowds are coming to Jesus, and people start bringing children to him so that he might bless them. And what do the disciples do? The disciples have these preconceived notions about what they think Jesus is going to want them to do in this moment, and they start rebuking these parents by saying, get these kids out of here. Jesus can't be messed around with this. Now, keep in mind, this is not the first time the disciples have been the regulators of the mission. Last week, at the end of chapter 9, what did they do? They saw people who were performing miracles, and they were, quote-unquote, unsanctioned miracles in Jesus' eyes because they weren't some of the original 12. And they go to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, we got your back. We stopped. We stopped those people who were performing those miracles that were unsanctioned. To where Jesus says, Actually, you're wrong, because if you're not against me, you are for me. And so Jesus was indignant. He was angry. Do you guys know that you should always take note of the things that anger Jesus? The things that anger Jesus should move us to compassion. So he said, in fact, don't stop kids from coming to me. Why? Because the kingdom of God belongs to these. This is game-changing truth here. 
about what it really means to follow Jesus, to come in childlike faith. And you see it up here on your screen. Maybe you want to write this down and reflect upon it throughout the course of this week. Childlike faith may be criticized by others, but it is celebrated by Jesus. Childlike faith may be criticized by others, but it is celebrated by Jesus. What does childlike faith look like? Childlike faith says, I'm unashamed. Childlike faith says, you know what? I don't know if I have all the answers, but I'm going to try my best. I don't know if I have it all figured out, but I'm going to take steps forwards. And friend, can, I not, can we not remind each other how refreshing that is? How refreshing it is to see that God-honoring childlike faith. I think a problem for a lot of us is that we have become so professional and we have become so kind of together in our own right. We've kind of become so suit and tie, buttoned up, so to speak. And there's nothing wrong with that. But because we're so good and because we don't need anything anymore, we no longer stand in awe of God. We don't need to stand in awe of God anymore. Why? Because we can stand in awe of ourselves. And there's something here that Jesus is trying to teach us. Now, kids, on the other hand, don't you love kids? Because they'll believe anything. They literally will. I mean, they'll believe anything. They're in awe of everything. They make these really scary faces thinking they're scaring us. That's not scary. But to them, they really think that they have scared us. They come up with games, and sometimes these games are so lame. And you're like, but it's fun to them. Or they come up with these ideas. I mean, my kids, they come up with these ideas, and they are just harebrained ideas. I'm like, really? Like, that's, that's what you're thinking right now. But they believe it. And I love that. There's a, a wonder there. And there's an awe there to where they say, you know what? I don't have everything quite figured out just yet. Do you guys want to take a guess as to who I get the most handwritten notes from in this church, the most colorful handwritten notes from in this church? It's kids. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad if you haven't given me a colored picture recently, okay? So I'm not saying, you know, don't, don't go home and get out a coloring sheet and be like, Pastor Jason said he wants a coloring sheet, <laughs> so let me bring this to him next week. That's not what I'm saying at all. <clears throat> but have you noticed something about kids? They don't feel bad about coloring a picture from someone and writing the words, I love you, on it and taking it to them. Why? Because they haven't gotten old enough yet to realize that some people might think that's weird, they're not so professional just quite yet. The world hasn't tainted them of that. They still think it's cool to color pictures and share it with people. And here you have the disciples. They were criticizing that kind of faith, and Jesus said, oh, no, I want more of that. I don't want less of that kind of faith. I want more of that kind of faith. I think it's long overdue that we approach Jesus with a little bit more of a sincere heart and a little bit more of a childlike faith where we say, God, I believe that you're going to do exactly what you say you're going to do. And I believe that you're going to work out all things according to your plans and purposes. I believe that you've not created me for insignificance. And I know that there's going to be issues. I know there's going to be challenges. I know there's going to be lots of hard moments in life, things that I don't understand. But I believe that you're here when I approach you in childlike faith. None of us come to an understanding of salvation without childlike faith. I mean, think about the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel, it is so radical because the heart of the message of the gospel is that Jesus died for you when you were broken. You did nothing to deserve that, what he offered you. It's kind of like if you're a parent, you know, you're not going to withhold dinner from your child because they broke a rule. You're going to let them still have a place at the table even though they broke a rule. It's exactly what Jesus did. You and I are fully incapable. We are broken. We are sinners but yet we are saved by the grace of God. And he says, you are welcome here. 
It's the story of the gospel. It's the salvation message. So continuing on in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. So as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Well, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Don't you love this picture? I I love this picture because there's this man who runs up to Jesus and he's very, very excited to ask Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? To which Jesus begins replying to him, you know, kind of the ways, the the commands and the the things that you follow. You don't murder, you don't commit adultery, you don't steal. These are all things that were very much kind of kind of grounded in in Old Testament law, the things that the leaders of the day would have understood, and to which the young man looks back at Jesus and in essence says, check, 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 check. I followed all the rules, Jesus. To which Jesus then replies to him in verses 21 and 22, well, then one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He had followed all the rules. He had kept all of the commands. He had assumed that he was good. And Jesus touched right at the core of what this man was not willing to surrender. And so the same thing might be happening for us today. In fact, the thing that you were holding on to the tightest, that just might be the very thing holding you back. It really might be. Whatever it is right now that you're holding on to the tightest, that thing that you have a strong grip on, that you're going to say, Jesus, you can have everything but that. That just might be the very thing that's holding you back. Just because you and I keep all the rules doesn't mean that we really get it. Because see, what Jesus is doing here is he's equating treasure with giving. He doesn't say because you have a lot that you're rich. He says because you give a lot, you're rich. And unfortunately, that led this man to walk away in sadness Did you know if you read the teachings of Jesus or you read the words of Jesus and your response is sadness, then I would encourage you to say, God, what is it in my heart that needs to change? Because the teachings of Jesus, even the difficult ones for us to comprehend, they should elicit in us joy. They should elicit in us peace. They should elicit us in a sense of, I am so honored that I get to be a part of that Jesus. And not, oh, Jesus, I can't believe that's what you would ask me to do. And that's a real struggle for a lot of us, self-included. Why? Because we are people who have so much. And maybe you don't think you have a lot, but I promise you, you are a person of affluence in our world's standards. You have possessions. And when you have a lot, it rocks your world to think about giving a lot, doesn't it? It's at the heart of this message, the point of Jesus' teaching. But what Jesus does is he takes the opportunity to address even the crowd at a whole, the larger crowd at a whole. Let's keep going. In verse 23, so Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard then is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed. And they said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with this, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. 
Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. If you're comfortable highlighting in your Bible, may I suggest Mark 10, 31? (laughs) But many who are first will be last, and the last first. See, money and resources, according to Jesus, they're not bad at all. What's bad is when they become idols. And idols are the things that prevent us from experiencing God in his fullness. And isn't it interesting in life how anything can become an idol? I mean, anything can become an idol these days. What can become an idol in your life? Anything that you prioritize more than Jesus. Anything. It doesn't have to just be resources. It can be any number of things that gets your thoughts and your actions and your attitudes more than Jesus. And Jesus says, whatever that is, sacrifice that to me and invest in what really matters. So I want to ask you a question. It's a a question that I hope that you'll kind of rhetorically um, think about and reflect upon it. And, it, and it's a question that if, if, you, if, if, if the answer is one that you might think I disagree with, send me an email this week, and I'd love to chat with you about it. But the question is this, have you ever regretted generosity? Have you ever regretted generosity? I mean, I mean not I'm just, just base level. When you're generous, when you, when you give to someone or when you help someone with expecting nothing in return, have, have you regretted that? Now, I've regretted purchases that I've made. I've regretted things that I've spent money on. Um, You know, I've regretted some of those meals that we had that we finally decided what restaurant we wanted to go to. And I was like, well, that was $76 for our family, and we could have had that at home for 12. Um, You know, sometimes I regret that. Um, I've been sucked into some of the made-for-TV products that had big promises. They didn't deliver on what they said they were going to do. Um, I have regretted uh, more times than I would like to admit, um, forgetting that I signed up for a trial period of something and then getting charged $79.99 for a subscription to something that I'm not even sure what it is. Um, you, you've had those moments. But honestly, and, and I don't say this in any shape or form to get any kind of gold star, but I can honestly tell you I've never regretted being generous. You know why? Because something happens in your heart when you're generous. And what the scripture says in Proverbs 11:25 is that a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. What happens when you're generous? It's what the Bible calls refreshment. You get refreshment from that. And so if you're in need of some refreshment today, may I suggest that Jesus is showing us some models to experience that freedom in our life. I'm so thankful that generosity was modeled by my parents. Hey, I, I, one of my running jokes is, if you like me, you would love my dad. You know, as generous as I try to be, he, like, blows me out of the water with those kinds of things. And I seek to model that for my family. And you all are generous people, and I want to say thank you for that. I mean, this is an incredibly generous church. When needs come before you, when we ask you guys to help with things, you always step up. When we ask you to invest in things that will outlive you, you always show up. And I want to say thank you for that. 
thank you for that. I mean, this afternoon, hopefully in a little bit, you're going to walk over and see a new expansion on our property. And that only happens because of your generosity. So thank you for that. When we tell these stories about what God's doing at camp or we tell these stories about what God's doing in children's ministry or what God's doing in Moldova or what God's doing through our ministry partners working with our homeless community in the Nashville area, that only happens because of your generosity. So thank you for that. God is using you. And if you've yet to be generous, I encourage you to try it. Because honestly, in 15 years of pastoring here at Rolling Hills, or almost 15 years of pastoring here at Rolling Hills Community Church, you know what I've never had anybody tell me? I've never honestly had anybody come up to me and say, I regret being generous. But do you know what I've had more times than I can count? People come up and say, I wish I wouldn't have waited so long to be generous. Because something happened in my life. That refreshment came when I experienced that. And so my hope and my prayer this morning is that what Mark 10 is showing us is that we would walk away understanding what it is that God wants us to do and holding the things of this world very, very loosely. Let's continue in verse 35. So then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, that's kind of bold. Um, I mean, they came to Jesus and said, we want you to do whatever we ask Jesus, okay? Well, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He asked, and they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? So James and John, they come to Jesus and they have a request. And here's what that request is. They say, Jesus, we know that there's going to be two places of prominence, one on your right hand and one on your left hand. So we were thinking we would be two good candidates for that. <laughs> to which Jesus basically responds. I, I'm assuming that that wasn't well received based on Jesus' response. Because he's questioning their motivation because their motivation was to receive the acknowledgement, the praise. Look how holy we are. But in stark contrast to what he has just been teaching, because what has he just taught them? He says, if you really want to be great, humble yourself like a child. If you really want to understand what richness looks like, then go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And so Jesus responds to James and John, you really don't understand what you're asking for, to which Jesus responds in verse 42, then I'm, I'm trying to get you to understand. He said, I, I want you to understand that there are Gentile rulers who operate in leadership like you're wanting me to operate. They domineer over people, and they pick the favorites, and they choose the best. And Jesus is saying, that is not the kingdom that I am ushering in. That is not the type of leadership. That is not the Savior the matchless one. That is not who I am. Rather, listen to what Jesus says in response to these questions. Verses 43, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What does that mean for me? And what does that mean for you? It means that for us to grow as disciples, we have to grow as servants. To grow as a disciple is to grow as a servant. Jesus says the greatest among you are the ones willing to serve. And when we follow the example of Jesus, we realize his model of ministry was all about sacrifice. It was all about servanthood. It was all about putting the needs of others above your own. I mean, Jesus's life, I mean, these ministry snapshots, look at what he was doing. He was washing people's feet. 
He was hanging out with prostitutes. He was healing lepers who everyone else was afraid to touch. He was teaching very radically about the role of women. He was empowering people. He, he was seeing people that society overlooked. So if I'm seeking to grow as a disciple, I believe that I have to be growing with a servant's heart. And I don't have to tell you this, but something else that is in short supply in our society right now, it's serving. Serving is in short supply. And I think we can do better. I think it's time that we say, you know what, I'm going to stop looking at every situation of how this personally affects me. I'm going to stop just, you know, putting all of my thoughts, um, you know, in writing and that be all that I do. Rather, I, I believe, according to Jesus, that a growing disciple is a serving disciple. And what I'm about to say here, this is not something that I see happening at Rolling Hill, so I haven't been like reading your journal or anything like that. So I don't think that this is a problem for us right now, but I'm also not so aloof to believe that it couldn't happen. It's why the number one phrase in our vision statement of Rolling Hills is a people of God reaching out. You and I have to always be about reaching out to other people. We always have to be about serving other people. It's what we have to try to protect ourselves against in this church is to be a church that looks inward. And do you know as your church grows and as you get new buildings and as things expand, that is always a temptation that we have to fight. And so I'm going to ask you today, will you fight that battle? And will you say, I don't want to be a part of a congregation that's all about themselves. I want to be more passionate about the people who are not here yet, the lives that have not been transformed yet because of what's going to happen here in Rolling Hills. So I pray that God would protect our hearts and give us vision for others. Now, is it okay for us to be a consumer from time to time? Sure. I'm not saying that all of your life has to always be about output, that you have to always be, you know, you know, serving other people. Is it okay to be fed? Absolutely. You're here today. Thank you for being here. This is a lot more fun when you're in these seats. Thank you for allowing us to make inputs into your life today. I mean, is it okay to go to, re to a resort every so often and let someone serve you? Yes, please. Absolutely. I'm not telling you that you should feel bad about those kinds of things. But is it okay to make life all about my needs and to make everything in my life about people serving me? opposed to me serving others, I would advise against that. I would advise against that because if not careful, if that's kind of the mantra that you go about living your life with, you often fall prey to what I call the Charlie Bucket's grandparents syndrome. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Anybody seen Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory before? Okay, two people, seriously? There's two people in this room that have seen Willy Wonka? Okay, thank you. But in this scene in Willy Wonka, if you don't know the scene, you'll get it really, really quickly. There's a scene where Charlie Bucket, who's the main character, he has four grandparents who are bedridden, or so we thought. <laughs> They're bedridden. They can't help mom do any work. They can't help Charlie with anything. They're just laying there in a bed, lethargic, lazy, people meeting all their needs. But the minute that Charlie wins a golden ticket to go to the chocolate factory. Grandpa Joe gets his legs back all of a sudden. I'm thinking to myself, if I'm the mom, I'm going to have a stern talking to Grandpa Joe. You couldn't help me pay some bills here, but you can hop out of bed when it's time to go visit the chocolate factory. And I laugh, but I think sometimes it's a pretty interesting parallel with how a lot of us live our lives. We just say, me, 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 and here's a new shiny object. Oh, I'll hop up to that. No, I don't want to do this. 
I want you to continue to meet my needs here. I want to continue to make life about me there. But here's something really, really exciting. And so I'll hop up and be a part of that. But the reality is if you and I live lives where there's just constant input and no output, things get really off kilter for you really quickly. And you begin to see that the desire of your heart begins to look more like the Pharisees than it does Jesus. And so I want to close today with this in verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of Nazareth, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. (laughs) And then throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do with you? Jesus asked him, and the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I love that this is where this little part of the chapter ends. Because this Bartimaeus character who is blind, it punctuates amazingly what Jesus has been trying to teach his disciples over these last few moments of instruction. Because as they are leaving the city, a large crowd gathers and a blind beggar starts crying out to the name of Jesus, have mercy on me. And as it happened every time, people tell him, shh, you quiet down. Jesus is coming through town. He doesn't have time for a blind beggar. And Jesus calls him and says, what do you want to do me to do for you? And the blind man says, I want to see. And Jesus acknowledges that faith of that man, and he is healed, and he goes on his way seeing. Imagine the message it would have sent to the disciples if Jesus would have said, I know that I just told you that serving people is really, really important, but we got somewhere we need to be. So we'll come back and deal with Bartimaeus later. What kind of message does that send to the disciples? To the disciples, that says it's okay to say one thing and do something different. It's okay to say that Jesus is my all in all, but it means that it's okay for my life to not reflect that. But yet, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus says, I don't want to just tell you what's important. I want to show you what's important. And I don't want you to just say what's important, but I want you to live out that truth. And Jesus gives us this glimpse, and I hope that we won't miss it. So as I close today, if, if your desire, if your desire is to walk away today and have zero impact with your life, okay, I hope that's nobody, but I'm going to give it to you, okay? If you want to live a life of really, really insignificant, just nothingness, okay? This is the way to do it. Here you see it on the screen. A surefire way to have minimal impact in life is to say something is important and not do it yourself. It'll get you every time. A surefire way you can take this to the bank to have minimal impact with your life is to say that this is important to me, but not actually do it to my, do it to my, do it myself. It's not enough to say serving is important. I have to serve. It's not enough to say that discipleship is important. I have to grow as a disciple. And there's always going to be eyes on you watching how you serve and watching how you lead. And my hope and my prayer is that the world who doesn't know Jesus quite yet, would look at us and say, I trust that message because that's a group of people that say one thing and actually do it. They say that loving people is the most important thing and actually feel loved 
in their presence. Yet when we grow in humility, it makes a huge difference. When we serve, it makes a huge difference. So my hope and my prayer is that we live it out this week. And if you make a commitment right now to live it out, you know what God's going to do? In probably the next seven minutes, he's going to give you an opportunity to put it into practice. And so let's go. You guys ready for that? Let's go do it. Let's go be the church, and let's go share hope, and let's go share life, and let's go sow, go sow those seeds of the gospel and say, God, wherever you have me, I want to be faithful to you. Wherever you place me, I want to trust you. I want to grow in you. I want to be who it is that you have called me to be. God is going to present those opportunities to us to be the church that he is called to be on mission here in Nolensville, Tennessee. And I'm grateful that we get to be a part of that together. And I'm so thankful for you guys being here with us today. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for worship. Thank you for your word. Thank you for freedom, God, that we experience in you. We are so grateful, God, that you have met us here today. And we pray that we would go now and share hope and share life and to not have serving mindsets in a short supply in our life, God, but that we would over and abundantly seek to love and meet needs and share the hope of Jesus Christ with those that we come in contact with. We're so thankful, God, that you love us, and I'm so thankful for what you've done in this place already. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. You've been listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, we hope you will tell a friend about us and subscribe so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Be sure to explore our other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, you can download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. See you next time and God bless.